What's going on, lacrosse fan? My name is Teddy Jenner, and this week on Off the Crossbar, we talk overtime, the rock are rolling, keeping up with the Joneses, and the goal that wasn't a goal that should have been a goal, but wasn't a goal and maybe shouldn't have been a goal. All this week on Off the Crossbar. That's right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. My name is Teddy Jenner. If you want to get a hold of me, you can. Two simple ways. You can find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. There's an E on the end of cross. And of course, you can always email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It was an incredible week nine in the National Cross. And when I say incredible, I truly do mean incredible because let's be honest every game even the 17 to 6 game uh, between Toronto and Rochester was a good game it's not a good game if you're a Rochester fan but other than that game if we take out that game because that's sort of the the anomaly game of the weekend all four games were decided late two games were decided in the last couple seconds, with Adam Jones scoring the winner uh, with about two seconds left against Vancouver to give Colorado the win, and Kevin Crowley, the big cat, scoring for New England as they defeated Georgia in the dying seconds of that game. Saskatchewan lost to Buffalo in overtime, and then two days later, they beat Calgary in overtime to split the weekend. So it was probably one of the most entertaining games or sorry, weekends of the year so far. And it just, it, it's incredible to see how close this league is starting to get. From first to last, only four and a half games separate top to bottom. That may seem like a bit of a spread, but when you break it down in divisions, Toronto, who is at the bottom of the standings at two and six, they're actually only a game and a half out of a playoff spot. Nobody would have thought that a few weeks ago when they were winless in 0-6. But a couple wins, and Josh Sanderson back, and up to his old tricks, the Rock are starting to roll. And with pretty much their entire East schedule done, they have three games remaining against Eastern Division foes. They're going to have to do some damage against the West. And they have this weekend off, and then they'll sort of start their Western tour of duty where they play seven of their final 10 against the four Western division teams. So they're only a game and a half back. Georgia and Rochester are tied for the third playoff spot. Georgia has the tiebreaker. Buffalo sits in second at five and four, and they're just a game back of new England. Now out West Calgary is just a half game out of a playoff spot. Sure, they're four games out of first place. That doesn't matter because you just got to get to third and you're in the playoffs. They know this situation from last year. They were 0-6 and were able to turn things around at the right time to get themselves into the playoff picture. And that's exactly what Toronto's going to try and do. Their road's a little bit harder. As I said, they have to play uh, 7 of 10 against Western Division foes, so it's not like they can easily make up ground on Eastern teams. But if you're Calgary, 
you've lost two straight games. Technically, actually, you've lost three straight games, but two of those games have been games that you were up in and blew leads. And that's not sitting very well with head coach Kurt Miloski or GM Mike Board or anybody in that locker room. It's never easy to watch your team struggle. And it's never easy to watch a team struggle that plays so well for like 50 minutes and then just kind of goes in the tank at the end. Or that has a great quarter and then can't put three more together to back it up. And so that's something that Calgary's got to work on. They have to mature and they have to grow. Just like Toronto's doing. Toronto's maturing before our eyes, even though they're the oldest team in the National Lacrosse League. They're starting to have to figure out what it takes to get back on the winning side of things, and they're doing that. Nick Rose isn't playing out of his mind the past couple games. And, of course, as I said, Josh Sanderson is back. And just it's incredible to watch him be the quarterback of that offense. You watch teams. uh, Dan Dawson often does it in Rochester. He did it for Victoria when he was playing out here in the Man Cup for the Victoria Shamrocks. Garrett Billing has kind of assumed that role with Vancouver. It's just a calming presence, a guy that is okay handling the ball, and an incredible floor general. It's like Sean Evans in New England. It's one of the reasons that Calgary is struggling because they don't have that guy who can go out and take control of the offense. That's not a knock on Curtis Dixon or anybody else on that Calgary offense. Dixon loves to have the ball on a stick. He loves going one-on-one. He loves taking it hard to the net. But he doesn't have that aspect of his game where he can kind of step back and be a feeder and survey the floor and let the play come to him. He dictates the pace of play, where guys like Sanderson and Evans, and, and even Dane Doby for that fact, can often sit back and let the game come to them and make those passes and help the team move forward. So it'll be interesting to see how Calgary does this weekend when they host Rochester, who's a team that, in their own right, is struggling. They've lost two straight. And Rochester looks like a shell of the team that we saw go to three straight Champions Cup finals. Not sure what the deal is in Rochester. They are talented beyond words. Their defense may be slowing down. Matt Vince has been chased from his past two games. That's a huge issue, if you ask me, because while Vince is one of the top goalies in the world, he's being picked apart by outside shots. And a lot of goalies are. Look what happened to Tyler Richards on Saturday when Adam Jones lit him up. Outside shots around screens are probably the toughest shot to handle. But Matt Vince is just having not-so-stellar performances. And it's not all on him. I talked to Dan Dawson, and he said everybody's struggling. From him all the way through to Matt Vince. And those things happen. And... You know, as, as I kind of said, there's no need to panic for any of these teams right now because it's so close. Rochester's a game out of being in second, but they're also, as I said, a game and a half away being from out of the playoffs. They're technically out of the playoffs right now. So for all of these teams, it's so imperative for these wins 
and to play 60 minutes. You can't take a quarter off. You can't take a shift off. Because in the matter of 27 seconds, a guy can score a hat trick. And in a span of just under seven minutes, a guy can score five. And as we've seen twice this year, in 15 minutes, a guy can score six goals and turn a game around. And Adam Jones did just that. And that is why he is the man. Go ahead and tell everybody. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. Yes, I am, yes, I am, yes, I am. I'm the man, I'm the man, I'm the man. I believe I'm not really sure words can explain what Adam Jones did on Saturday night. Three goals in 27 seconds, five goals in just under seven minutes, six goals in 15 minutes of play, and seven points total in the fourth quarter alone. He was held pointless until the fourth and finished the game with seven. I'm not sure why Vancouver wasn't covering him at the end of the game, but that's neither here nor there. Adam Jones doesn't shoot the ball the hardest. He may not even be the fastest. But he continually makes goalies look bad when he scores from the same spot over and over again. But just continually mixes up his shots from short side to far side to back to the five hole. Adam Jones should have been covered on the final play of the game and he wasn't. And he made the Vancouver Stealth pay. He finishes the game with an incredible sock trick, a story to tell for the ages. And Adam Jones is the man. It was an incredible performance, and I'm going to talk about what happened in that fourth quarter because it has to be discussed. And I wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't discuss it, even though there's nothing anybody can do about it now because it's all in the past. However, let's talk about it. Go to ilender.com, and I have my article up there, um, goal or no goal, you decide. But at the end of the day, what this play has actually done is brought up a debate on a few different levels. First of all, why wasn't Mark Gardonio watching Alex Bouquet, the mammoth goaltender, with the ball in his stick in his crease? Well, after speaking with some referees, speaking with the league, referees are taught to follow the gameplay and keep their focus on where the greater amount of players are. Players were changing. Bouquet was the only guy back behind Mark Gardonio. So the game flow dictates Gardonio's vision goes up the floor. The next question is, what is possession? And that is where the Colorado Mammoth standpoint comes. And it's the same, actually, it's the counterpoint of Vancouver's standpoint. And I get both arguments. So let me read you a couple rules here. Rule 51.2, ball caught in goalie stick or equipment. If the ball becomes caught in a goalie stick, mask, or other equipment following the shot, play shall be immediately suspended and possession shall be awarded to the goalie and the shot clock shall be reset. Pretty straightforward, right? 
But now we're getting into the question of what is possession? Funny enough, there is a rule for that. 22.2. A player shall be considered in possession of the ball when he has control of it and can perform any of the normal functions of control, such as carrying, cradling, shooting, or passing. Now, this can be determined one of two ways. And this is where the discrepancy comes into play. Colorado feels that Bouquet never had clear possession because as he scooped it up and made his cradle motion to throw the ball, the ball fell out of his stick. So they're saying, well, he never fully had possession, so when the whistle blew, there was no possession, so the whistle never should have been blown in the first place. I get that. That makes sense. However, would a player not just picking up the ball be considered and having it in a stick be considered having possession. That's the Vancouver stance, is he picked it up and made the motion to go and cradle for the throw. So that motion of scooping the ball up and putting it over his shoulder is possession. Or is it? And that is the gray area. Is possession when he fully has it, cradling it, then makes the pass, or is possession right when he picks it up? But either way that you look at it, when the whistle is audibly heard, the ball is out of Bouquet's stick. So, in essence, nobody had possession when the play was blown in, so it shouldn't have been blown in. It's very convoluted, and like I said, both sides have an argument of what should have happened. And with the league saying that it should have been called a goal, they really just kind of threw crew chief Mark Gardonio under the bus. And I haven't had a chance to talk to Mark, so and I don't know if many people have. I'm sure the league spoke with him in trying to find their ruling. But it's just... I, I, it was just such a weird play. And one that rarely ever happens. And it's happened to me before in Game 7 of the Man Cup. And the situation was uh, Matt Roik made the save. The referee blew play dead. And in the process of Rob Kirkby picking up the ball, play was blown in, he bobbled it, and it went into the net. And the referee called it a goal. He never had possession. This is the exact same thing. Bouquet goes to pick it up. Now, the difference between Kirkby and Bouquet is Kirkby never had the ball. He bobbled it trying to pick it up. Bouquet has it in his stick. It's in his possession as he goes to make the throw, and it falls out. And it's just, it was such a weird play. And the fact that the referee didn't see it makes this the much, all that more confusing because then the question is, well, what did he see? What didn't he see? And if he saw it, what should have been done? Here's my take. Vancouver had no challenges, so 
they wouldn't have been able to challenge it anyway, so a lot of people feel that it's a moot point regardless. However, there had to have been a split second where Mark Gardonio turned his view back to the goaltender to figure out why he hadn't thrown the ball yet and seen Bouquet fumbling it with it near his goal line. In my opinion, the referee should have blown play dead and just reset things, allowed the goalie to pick up the ball and go from there. That's what should have happened. But it didn't. Play goes down the other way. Two passes later, Jonesy puts it in. And instead of being uh, a one or two, or sorry, two or three goal game, it's now a one goal game and the momentum clearly in Colorado's favor. I don't know if we'll ever see something like this again. We probably will because things happen. But now that we've seen it happen, and we have a basis for it. Maybe we'll be a little more prepared next time. There's no grounds for GM Doug Locke or the Vancouver Stealth or the Stealth organization to challenge or protest or appeal the game. There was no bias. There was no cheating. There was no favoritism. It was just a bang-bang play that, because the referee was watching the flow of the game, he missed. So... Maybe we need to go back to three referees. Just a thought. Might allow referees to pay a little more attention attention to where the ball is. Not having to worry about looking up the floor. And can just focus on the ball. One guy focuses on the ball. One guy watches the play. The other guy's watching line changes. Floating system like they used to do. We'll see. The worst part about the, all this is is that it took away from the performance of Adam Jones. And it took away from the performance of Alex Bouquet, who came in and held the fort and only let in two goals in the 26 or 7, 8 minutes that he played. And that's the unfortunate part, is that this incident took away from what was an incredible performance by Adam Jones. And, you know, if this play doesn't happen, or if it gets called a goal, maybe that comeback doesn't happen. No one will know. They're not going to play a mini game. It's not going to happen. It's done. It's over with, and we move on. So we move on. One guy that was on the floor during Jones's miraculous performance joins us now on the Off the Crossbar podcast. He's the NLL's second leading goal scorer. He's on pace for record numbers in goals, assists, and points. They call him Mr. Showtime. He is Callum Crawford. Callum, good to talk to you. How are you, buddy? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No worries. Um, you've made the uh, the move to Colorado now, haven't you? I have. Uh, it's hard to pass up. You know how beautiful it's been here every time that I've played here over the last 10 years against them, that it was, you know, I'm finally playing here. The fans are amazing. The weather's incredible. And, uh we all know how terrible winters are in Ottawa, so it just made sense. Um, are you are you getting out and enjoying the sights and sounds of Colorado life? I am, yeah. the The weather, I get to enjoy it. I was at Red Rocks this past weekend, showing uh, showing my mom around a little bit, doing some touristy yeah. stuff. So yeah. it's been nice. Is there a plaque for John Grant Jr. up there where he shot like lacrosse ball over a hundred yards and put it in the back of the net last year? 
No, but I think they're going to put up a statue of him. Oh, really? It's on its way. It's got to be pretty interesting to to go to Colorado and 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 see how uh, the National Lacrosse League has stri- thrived there and how well it's been accepted. Is it pretty surreal having spent some time in some markets that that didn't embrace the National Lacrosse League? Uh, yeah, yeah, I've been in a couple of markets that weren't that great. Now, Minnesota was actually, wasn't that bad. You know, I feel like we had an yeah. average of something like 10,000, so it was all right. But, you know, this is just on another level. The fans here, there's a reason they call it the Loud House. It's not just because of the amount of fans. It's the passion of the fans that are here, which is amazing. Uh, and, again, there's so many fans here. Like, Denver loves their sports. It's not just mm-hmm. the Mammoth. You know, they support all of our sports. Uh, you know, the Avalanche, the Nuggets, the Rapids, they all get love here. And it's amazing. Do you, uh, do you get to go to a lot of the events that are at the Pepsi Center? Yeah, we do. You know, uh, we've got a great relationship with those teams, and uh, whenever, you know, we get a get a chance to get out to them, you know, they're more than willing to accommodate us. It's great. You spent uh, your last few years in, in Minnesota with the Swarm before coming over to Colorado as a free agent. Uh, you only played 12 games last year. Was it tough to see the year end the way that it did with you on the injured reserve? Yeah, you know, uh, struggling with injury is never great. I never had to really deal with it uh, for the most part of my career. The last couple of years, I've had some little nagging things, uh, never anything that was season-ending like I had last year. So, uh, mm-hmm. you know, watching watching your, your guys who are basically your family out there battling and, you you know, you can't do anything to help them, uh, it, it's it's really tough. And I think a lot of people, you know, I'm great friends with Andrew Suter, and we have that talk all the time about how hard it is for him to be watching. And, you know, mm-hmm. I kind of was there last year for the first time. It's, it's the hardest thing to do as an athlete. What was the motivation for you to come back? Like, what was what was pushing you to get healthy? Uh, I love the game. You know, I've made my life around lacrosse. I, I want to have as many more years of doing this as possible. You know, uh, you know, I always, I've always had critics and and stuff like that. So there was a lot of motivation that I had throughout uh, the summer too of different things mm-hmm. uh, that pushed me to work as hard as I possibly can. And those are the things that that get me ready for every season. Is uh, I hang my hat on work ethic uh, in the off season, and you know, I. I believe you have to uh, commit yourself, you know, to this game if you really want to do something with it. And, you know, that's what I did this past summer and, you know, desire to stay healthy and have the best year possible and win a championship with this team. Is it tough, you know, all athletes go through it at some point in their career, but is it tough to, to sort of read the the writings of people who are your critics and, and listen to what they say? Is it, does it kind of push the buttons the wrong way for you sometimes because you're you're doing all you can to be the best team player you can be? Uh, it's motivation more than anything, to be honest. I think other people get get more upset about it than uh, than I do. But uh, I like to use it as motivation. And you know, mm-hmm. being from Ottawa, it's kind of been like that my whole life. You know, not a lot of yeah. people think there's a lot of lacrosse in Ottawa or quality lacrosse in Ottawa. Uh, we're starting to change that at the youth levels, but especially at my mm-hmm. age, uh, it was a struggle to get to where I am. And you know what? It's been a great journey, and I've had incredible people to help me learn this game. And uh, you know, without them, I would never have any success. So you know, I don't get upset about the criticism or people's opinions. It's just, uh, you know, it's motivation and it makes me strive to want to do even better. What was the, you know, you said you were from, an, you're an Ottawa guy and you grew up sort of playing the game in non sort of traditional markets, but you were able to go to some areas that had some hotspots, Victoria included. You spent some time in Nanaimo, but you've been able to kind of put yourself in different positions. Did that, how much did that help you? by being able to play in different areas and different styles of lacrosse? Uh, you know, it took for me to leave Ottawa to be able to, to do anything with the sport. You know, I, I got drafted by – or not drafted, I got traded to Six Nations in my last year of junior for a playoff run. 
And that's mm-hmm. the only reason that I got drafted to the NLL. Uh, so I owe everything to that happening. So, you know, that was my motivation to being willing to go to different areas and not, you know, be focused at staying home where there wasn't very much lacrosse. Mm-hmm. Uh, getting to go to places, you know, being drafted by Calgary, playing with Tracy Koleski, you know, was the best thing that ever happened to me. I learned the game in a different way that I never understood the game before. Uh, going to Victoria, playing with Dan Dawson, you know, I've, I've been compared to him since I've been in the league a little bit just from us being tall, lanky guys. So <laughs> I've tried to learn as much possible from him, uh, you know, getting to play with Lewis, getting to play with, uh, you know, so many great players, Colin Doyle. Yeah. You know, I, I played with Ryan Benash. I played with just so many good players. And, and that's, I, I credit a lot of what I've learned to that. And I'm still learning, you know, I'm always going to be learning yeah. the game and trying to, to find something new. And that only comes from playing with new people. And that was part of the motivation of wanting to be here was there's such great players on this team. I have a chance to play with John Grant Jr., one of the best players to ever play. So that was the mm-hmm. motivation for me to want to be here. And, you know, Adam Jones, the things he can do and, you know, everybody that we have on this roster is just, you know, I think uh, a lot of people should should be eager to go learn new things from new people. And uh, I think that helps you broaden uh, your view of the game and your skill set. Have you asked Dan Dawson to borrow his leg sleeves? <laughs> um, no, I haven't yet, but I was asking Paul uh, a little bit about him during when we played. Yeah. I had to ask, what's the reason? Do they actually yeah. work? Uh, you know, they, what, they, what did he say? He says it's a game changer, so I'll have to take his word for it. <laughs> I can just see you flying through the air with those white compression sleeves on. It would look look remarkable. <laughs> well, I'm not against looking good, so I'll try. No, you're not. You're not. You're definitely not. Um, one of the things that, that kind of drew people to you was your personality, and you're very outgoing, and, and, and you're a fun guy, and you like to kind of have fun with guys and, when you're in Minnesota, you had the uh, showtime at the Sundowner. It just allowed you to be uh, a little more charismatic. What did you like about doing those things? A little bit of role reversal, getting a mic in your hand. Uh, you know, you said it. I'm just outgoing. I, I enjoy having fun. I don't take anything in life really too serious. You can even see me when I'm playing. Um, I'm not one of those guys that has to be, you know, super serious before a game. I've always yeah. been, you know, the more relaxed I am, the more fun I'm having. Uh, the better I'm going to play. And that's just kind of like, you know, I enjoy being out there talking to different people and, and, you know, doing stuff like that was incredible. I'm trying to get altitude here to give me my own show. I don't know what it's going to be about, but I think it'll be <laughs> yeah. Um You actually just went on a, a car ride with uh, Andy Lindhall for a little segment in Altitude Sports. What was that like? Uh, it was pretty cool. I, my dream car is a Range Rover and we got to drive in one of those. So that part was uh, the best part. I haven't actually seen it myself yet. I've been asking some of our media people for a copy of it because I've yeah. just heard about it. But uh, doing it was great. It was fun, you know, doing interviews and stuff. I'm not shy to talk and stuff like that. So I'm always one of the first people to say yes when they ask. And that mm-hmm. was a, a pretty cool experience. Uh, it had to be a pretty interesting experience to be a, a, a true free agent and have teams, you know, trying to apply for your services and sort of court you. Um, what was it like from your vantage point as a free agent during the offseason? Uh, so to be honest, I had no idea what to expect during it. Uh, I had never been in a free agent in my 10-year career, so it was my first mm-hmm. time actually being unrestricted. Uh, so I was kind of just waiting to see how it was going to pan out. I remember being in Vegas for my bachelor party, you know, with Suter right when it was about to happen. And, uh, you know, kind of just being like, I don't know what to do, and he's never been there either. So yeah. uh, it was great. As soon as it opened up, you know, I had a couple teams uh, contact me, and just that alone, you know, that, that's awesome to know that people want you to play for them. Uh, Steve Govett was one of the first and you know who doesn't want to play for this organization mm-hmm. and you know they, they did things right they brought me out here showed me the city and, and actually wanted to to make it work for my family and not just myself so uh, yeah 
there's so so many great things and obviously you know to know a team really wanted you was uh was wonderful to hear what do you think made you so successful in Colorado in the short time you're there we've got such a great team uh yeah. you know i've i've had some success numbers wise but you know there's there's so many people doing so many little things that make us successful uh you know it, it's just simply you know a guy like adam jones can score the ball anytime you just put the ball on a stick so that makes yeah. it easy you got a guy like john grant jr who makes everybody around him better um you know it, it's it's honestly just a team effort i know that sounds like a cliche thing to say but it's it's true i feel you get good numbers and you you do things statistically well when you're around good people uh it's not always about you know that person doing good things it's about the people around them doing great things and i think that's what's happening you mentioned adam jones name a couple times already um what were your thoughts when he was just firing at will and, and scoring five straight? So I don't know if you've seen any of the tape yet, but if you watch after the third one, I'm just yeah. laughing. Um, <laughs> and and it's it's not because you know it, I'm laughing because because it's just usual. It's just I I can't explain it. It's not even luck anymore because I've yeah. never seen somebody have such a scoring touch. And when he was doing it, it was just it was amazing. I can't score a goal like that the way that he scores goals. Yeah. And they're yeah. not lucky goals. They're they're just they're Adam Jones goals. Yeah. They're Jonesy goals. And there's I've never met anybody that can do it the way that he does it. He's just such a pure natural goal scorer. And to me, it was just it was it's amazing to see that I don't even have words for it. That I just had to start laughing. And he doesn't shoot the ball very hard either. It's just pinpoint accurate. It's it's perfect, you know. And some people will say, "Oh my God, it's a Jonesy goal. It's lucky it's going five hole." When you score at that rate, it's not lucky. It's, yeah, it's a skill, and you know he's great at it. Um, a lot of the talk surrounding that game was what happened with eight minutes left when you guys were down by two, and in the bouquet incident, you were on the bench at the time. What did you see? I didn't see it. To be honest, yeah. I had no idea. Um, yeah. I've just been kind of learning about it afterwards, and you know, reading both sides of it. And, you know, that's one of the beauty things of sports, not just lacrosse, is there's so many things that happen in a game that if you say, oh, if we could have seen this properly, it would change the outcome. Absolutely. But um, that's every single sport, and that's the beauty of sports. Mm-hmm. The things we can't control, mistakes happen, that's life. Um, it, you know, who's, who knows if, if that was a goal and there was eight minutes left or whatever. Yeah. Who knows what would happen in that eight minutes? Maybe we would have went on a, you know, Jonesy would have scored 11 goals. <laughs> Like there's, who knows, right? Yeah. You can never dictate what's going to happen, and and I don't think anybody on their side is is you know causing a big stink looking for there to be a change because there's just nothing you can do. You know, it happened to go our way this time. There's times I'm sure that it's gone their way where there's no flags left, and you know, refs may have called a goal that should have been a goal and stuff like that, right? There's it's just part of sports, part of lacrosse, and uh, you know, it happened to to go our way this time. Your agility is something that is your strong point and, and your ability to get around defenders, but your your knack for flying through the air is, is second to none. Um, is that just something that, that came naturally to you, to being able to jump across trees? Uh, to be honest, I used to dive a lot. And yeah. the older I get, the more diving hurts. So <laughs> I figured, yeah. if I, how could I kind of simulate the same advantages of diving without uh, <laughs> hitting yeah, the ground the so hard? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so I, I started trying to I started messing around with that kind of the last couple of years was just trying to jump uh, up versus across, and uh, you know I've tried to make it work. I've had some success with it this year, and I'm sure there's going to be times where I'm going to have to hit the ground. But uh, yeah, you know it's just it's just been another tool that I've been able to use with this long, lanky frame, and you know I've had some success with it. And it allows you to be more versatile because if you're diving across creeks, you only have so many options. But if you're jumping. As as you've been doing, and and as we've seen, you're able to bring the ball back short side. 
it just uh, gives you more net to shoot at when you're still in control of your body upright. Yeah, I'm just to be honest, I'm just trying to read the goalie. So when I'm jumping, I'm yeah. just focused on what he's doing. And I know everybody says I just go short side all the time, but it's honestly if if the goalie stays on his post and I'm going far side, it's me reading him versus you know me just throwing a short side every time. Um, it, it's yeah. me just trying to read what's up there, and, and that that is one of the advantages of going up versus across is it allows me to read the goalie versus committing to just one thing. Absolutely. Um, one of the, I don't think it gets enough credit, and, and maybe it, it doesn't deserve it, but um, when your captain steps up to fight Jeff Molesky there, uh, you kind of have to step up and answer the bell. How much did that rally your team uh, to be able to see your captain do that? Uh, it was incredible. You know, I was fired up in the box. I, yeah. I think I, I told Cote when I went out there, I said I was going to go off. Now, I didn't go off, but I was motivated to go out yeah. there and, and have a game because of that. Uh, you know, he didn't have to do that. I don't think anybody was forcing him to fight regardless of words at the start of the game. Uh, he did that upon himself because, mm-hmm. you know, he knew our team needed a spark, and that's exactly what he went and did. He, he did what, you know, he's a, our captain for a reason. He's our leader, and he got everybody going. I came out of the box and was fired up and wanted to do everything I could for for the team. You know, yeah. my strength is to go out there and fight somebody. Uh, so I tried to do my hardest to go out there and try to put the ball in the back of the net. And simply just because, you know, what he was willing to do for our team. And I think everybody in our locker room felt the same way. Is, you know, if he's willing to do that for us, what are we going to do for each other? Absolutely. Um, you guys are the number one team in the National Cross League. You're taking on the number two team this weekend in the New England Black Wolves in what should be a fantastic game. What's the, the mindset heading heading into Saturday's matchup? Uh, we got to prepare the same. Obviously, we have to focus our you know our game prep based on them uh, as their opponents this week. We got to worry about how we play. I think ultimately, if we play our game and control the things that we do, uh, we can be successful. Now, that's a great team. You know, their offense is incredible. They're playing unbelievable. They've had some amazing additions to their team this year. Uh, it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we we haven't seen them yet. We've been seeing what they've been able to do. So I think it's going to be a great test of, you know, what we're able to do. And hopefully we don't have to rely on Jonesy just uh, winning a game by himself. <laughs> but uh, I'll take another one of those games any day. Uh, you've mentioned a couple of times being from Ottawa. Do you think Ottawa could handle a National Lacrosse League back there? I think so if it's got the right ownership. Uh, you know, we have this, this Ottawa sports group now that's, that owns, you know, the Civic Center. Uh, they have the Red Blacks, and they kind of have this whole sports group there with the Fury and everything. Um, mm-hmm. I think if they're the owners and they own the building, that it can work because, again, they need tenants. And uh, it just makes sense with all the the different organizations that they have. I think that's a key in this league in general is just, you know, who's the ownership group. And uh, if, if it's the right fit, it can work in the markets. And I think with Ottawa, with, you know, uh, the sport growing like crazy in Ottawa, growing in Quebec, you know, upstate New York, we've got everything east of Toronto. I think it can work. It's not a major venue. It, it holds just the right enough people to be successful. And, uh, you know, it, it's a good city. It's definitely a market that's on Nick Sakevich's radar. Have you had a chance? to sit down with a new commissioner and, and meet the gentleman? I didn't get to sit down with him, but I got to meet him when he came in. Uh, he, yeah. he came and, you know, sat down with the staff, uh, the office staff and everything, and it just happened to be when, you know, they decided that I should act like Kramer for a day, so I got <laughs> to act like Kramer for the new commish. Awesome. How'd that go over? <laughs> he loved it, I guess. Uh, you know, I, I was a little worried that it wasn't the right setting to be doing that, but yeah. Steve, Steve thought it would be funny, so... We went ahead with it, and the new commission thought it was funny, so it was good. Awesome. Um, let, let's talk about uh, your endeavor that you're really close to, and that's the Ottawa Capitals uh, program. How's that going? It's going great. You know, the only reason we started that program is uh, to help 
kids with a future in lacrosse, and that's getting to the NCAA. Uh, since we've started, you know, we've put so many kids into school, and it's not us. It's, it's just us allowing them to be seen and helping facilitate the process. Uh, you know, that's our passion is just kind mm-hmm. of we, we know the talent that's there. You know, helping try to improve that talent is, you know, is part of it. But uh, that, our capital program really isn't even focused on that. You know, we don't spend a lot of time teaching the game. We only see the kids so often now because, you know, the season runs during hockey and everyone knows hockey is life in Ottawa. Uh, so we make it as accommodating as possible. But, you know, we help kids understand that, you know, the NCAA is a real it's a real realistic goal. Um, mm-hmm. The hockey NHL dream is, is a little different, but we try to get them to see that, you know, this game can take you somewhere, you can get education out of it, and that's the number one focus. So we've been able to put some kids into some big schools. You know, we've got uh, the first Canadian since that career to commit to Duke in Cambodore. Um, nice. You know, we've got Jake Jake Fox at uh, Hopkins right now. We've got uh, this kid, Carter Brand, who's just committed to Denver University. Um, you know, we've got two kids going to Harvard. You know, we're showing the talent even that's in Quebec. You know, it, it's just there to facilitate the kids who wouldn't have had a chance to be seen or who would have had to drive about, you know, six hours to Toronto just to, to do a practice. It's, it's allowing them to kind of, you know, stay in their own backyard and get a chance, have the same opportunities. And that's all it's about is just getting the kids seen and helping them with the future. Yeah, and, and you're not like the Hill Academy or it's a school. You're more like a, a travel team, correct? Yeah, we're just a club team. We're, we're yeah. comparable to Edge, you know, like yeah. an Edge program. Um, and again, it, it's just getting kids in front of college coaches and helping them get a, a chance to, you know, have a future. And how many kids are, are you putting into the U.S. a year? Do you know? I don't even. I couldn't tell you what it is per year, but I know if you take a look, you know, Ottawa's never seen so many kids go to the states yeah. uh, since we as we have just started, um, which is great. You know, we have almost a, a whole age group of, uh, you know, we had a a certain amount of kids from the Nepean Minor Association at a certain age group all come in for the first time and we just finished committing our last one of that age group that started playing. Uh, they've been awesome. with us for a year and every one of them is committed, which is great. Yeah, that, that's that's incredible turnover to be putting kids uh, at, at such a high rate. It's it's great to see and we need more programs like yourselves and Edge and all the other small programs that are out there. Um, before I let you go, you know, as fans, as broadcasters and people who cover this game, it, it's been a year like no other. Um, from a scoring standpoint, you're on pace for a record-setting year in both goals and assists and points. But, you know, you see what everyone else is doing. But is it just mystifying to see what Dane Smith is doing? I was about to say that. If Whether you're bringing up his name or not, I was about to bring <laughs> yeah. it up. But what yeah. that kid is doing is absolutely amazing. Yeah. Uh, every time, I, I can't even help, and it's not about, you know, to see how much further ahead he is than me. But every time they play, I go check to see what he did because I'm still yeah. amazed. Uh, uh, you know, I'm not rooting against them at all. I think it's incredible. I got to spend uh, a couple of weekends ago with Shawnee um, down in California for a drinking event, right. and uh, you know, talking to him about it, we were both just amazed. And you know, Shawnee's thing was he couldn't let me have the record for at least you know yeah, no, more than a year. Yeah. yeah, you know, and that, that was a funny thing. But it, it's amazing. You know, it just shows the talent that he has, and you know, he's just so dominant right now. Uh, part of it is, you know, everybody's scoring at an incredible rate right now, but part of it is just the things that he's doing. He's, he's doing some incredible things. It's, it's amazing. You know, he's a young kid doing incredible things for the sport. Uh, if you get to watch him, it's not just the numbers, it's the way he plays the game. Uh, and it's fun, you know, I, I, being a 31 year old, and I think he's maybe 22, 23, you know, I'm inspired by him and I'm learning yeah. from him. It, it, you know, that's what that type of stuff does. And it, it's great. You know, I hope he continues to do amazing things, just not when he plays against us. And, yeah, absolutely. Uh, Calum, you're you're on your way to doing amazing things as well. Uh, best of luck with everything in Colorado as well as the Capital Lax program. And appreciate you giving us some time today to talk. No, thanks for having me. I love doing this type of stuff. So uh, you know, 
Give me a show at any time you want to chat. Mr. Showtime, Callum Crawford. Um, I would love to see him in the Dawson-esque compression pants. It would just be hilarious. But Callum Crawford is an unbelievable athlete and an incredible lacrosse player. And he has been putting up career numbers since coming over from Minnesota. He was putting up career numbers when he was in Minnesota. He's been getting progressively better as his career has gone on. And if you take away the injury that kept him out of the end of last year with the Swarm, he probably would have set career numbers last year. He's overcome the detractors and the skeptics. And a lot of people who said he wouldn't amount to a whole lot. And he's become one of the top players in the National Lacrosse League. And continues to improve and continues to evolve his game. And it's just great to see um, a guy like Callum getting the finally getting the recognition for not just being um, a great player, but a, a great playmaker. And he, like I said, he's evolved his game, and you kind of heard him talk about he can't dive across the floor anymore because it kind of, you know, it hurts. I Trust me, it hurts. You know, that's a great way to, to bust up your knees and, and be sent to the locker room for some patchwork because that turf is pretty unforgivable. But he, he's become a well-rounded lacrosse player and a well-rounded human being. And it's just great to, to catch up with Callum, and I'm real glad that he was able to give us some time today to come on the show. Another guy who has evolved his game is that Dane Smith character. Uh, I had a little chat with uh, Graham Perot over Twitter um, watching Dane Smith play, and he says, isn't it funny how the Bandits were using him out of the back end in his first year, maybe even his first two years, and now he's just uh, an offensive juggernaut. Well, that's just absolutely incredible player development by the Bandits. You take a player at the time he didn't he didn't fit into that offense as a f- pure forward, and his athletic ability and his skill set allowed him to be able to play both ends of the floor, and they did that with him, and it, look how well it's worked out. Like he can still go back and play defense; they don't need him to. But he has the ability to do that because he's been doing it before. He learned the system from the back up, and it's made him a more well-rounded player because of it. Another guy who has kind of taken that career path is his teammate, Mitch Jones. And Jones is a guy that can play both ends of the floor, can fit in where you need him, and he's played... Straight O, he's played the transition role. There's even been games where he's kind of just been a D guy. But he has the the ability to run the floor and do it so well that he's become versatile and an essential part of that Bandits club. And it paid off in spades in Saskatoon Friday night when he put in five. And it was after Dane had lit up the rush, I think for seven points in the first half. And then he only got one the rest of the night. But when that happens, and it's just like when Calgary had Curtis Dixon going off against Vancouver two weekends ago. Teams make adjustments. They shut guys down. 
is it's all about other people stepping up. Vancouver shut down Calgary, and at the time, it allowed them to get back into the game and win it in overtime dramatic fashion. Last week, Dane Smith is going off against the rush. They make the adjustments. They shut Dane down. They were able to claw their way back into that game, force overtime with some incredible play from Robert Church, who's progressing nicely into one of the most underrated players in the National Lacrosse League. But as Saskatchewan made the adjustments to shut Dane Smith down, Buffalo had to make adjustments as well. And they started getting contributions from other guys on their team. Most notably, Mitch Wild and Mitch Jones. You know, Ryan Banesh is going to chip in and Culper and Steenhouse and those guys are going to put balls in it. But when you get points from Mitch Wild, Anthony Malcolm, Keto Hill, and Mitch Jones, you're starting to become a lethal team where teams can't just focus on one guy. And Saskatchewan focused their efforts on shutting Dane Smith down, and it worked because they were able to outscore the Bandits 5-2 in that fourth quarter and get themselves to overtime. And then Mitch Jones goes ahead and scores the winner. Big collision there between Matthews and Watt and coming down are the Buffalo Bandits on the counterattack. There's a shot and a goal! Mitch Jones puts it away and sends this crowd home disappointed. Mitch Jones, overtime winner. It was a fantastic feed from Matthew Bennett to Mitch Jones, who one-timed it past Aaron Bold, and the Buffalo Bandits left Toontown with a very, very impressive win, and one that they needed, especially after dropping two games the weekend before. And Jones just, you know, it's games like those where players step up and rise to the occasion, and he was going to be the man of the week until Adam Jones, no relation, went off against the Vancouver Stealth. But there were some other great performances over the weekend. We haven't talked much about that Toronto-Rochester game. Uh, We kind of talked about the Matt Vince thing when Toronto was up 7-1 after the first, and they just continued to roll. Like, that defense is playing so well right now, and, you know, Nick Rose only gave up six, faced 58, and allowed his team the ability to play a little more freely, a little more open, and it showed. Rob Hellier leading the way with 11 points. Uh, but how important has Josh Sanderson been to this offense? Just look at the numbers their offense is starting to put up. Dan Lintner was the low guy on the offensive totem pole. He only had four points, a goal and three assists. But Sanderson had seven. LeBlanc had eight. Doyle had nine. And Hellier had 11. The crazy thing is, is that Toronto's doing this without Brett Hickey. And Hickey was on the IR, first level. He's been moved to the IR, second level, which is a 21-day IR. So they'll be without him for a little while longer. But you replace replace a 50-goal guy with an 86-assist guy, and it kind of evens out. And the quarterback for the Toronto Rock is Josh Sanderson, and he has them playing at an absolutely incredible level. 
The New England at Georgia game was one of the most exciting games of the weekend as well, and that was Sunday at Mohegan Sun. And it was another game that went back and forth. Um, New England had the lead after the first. It was tied after the second. New England had the lead after the third, and they ended up winning by a goal in the fourth when Kevin Crowley scored with just four seconds left. And there was two guys that had monster games in that one. Well, probably actually three guys. Um, Jordan Hall had nine points, three goals and six assists, but he didn't lead the way for the Black Wolves. That was Sean Evans, who had three and seven, who continues to be putting up MVP-like numbers. But it was a guy in Georgia, Jesse King, representing the number 19s out there for all us one-niners. Four goals, six assists, and he can... He was just able to put his team on his back. And there was a game early in the year where he sat out. He was a healthy scratch. And Georgia's offense just kind of looked disheveled at times. He's back in. He's playing with more confidence. And it was his best game as a rookie. And he just showed the maturity level of a seasoned veteran. And putting up 10 points against that staunch New England defense, the way Evan Kirk's been playing, um, is uh, a feat in and on itself. And so Jesse King, uh, with a fantastic evening for the Georgia Swarm. And it was just that kind of weekend. Um, I want to kind of point out one more one more player, and, and we're going to play the audio clip from it, um, and that's Mike Poulin. And he got the start. It was his first start in a while. And he went the distance in overtime, even though Calgary lost. But it never would have gotten to overtime if it wasn't for this. Saskatchewan has it now in transition. This is Dilks. Dilks ahead to Corbio. He's in there. Corbio takes the shot, and Poulin makes the save. A monster save by Mike Poulin. Monster save indeed. Alex Kutz, who got the call in favor of Ryan, Ryan Ballantine on the Calgary broadcast. Nice to see Kutz up there. But if it's not for that save from Mike Poulin in his left arm, that game doesn't even get to overtime. And... That's where you need guys to step up and make the play. And, and Poulin did it. And I'm sure there would be moments where head coach Kurt Miloski and even Mike Poulin would go back and say, you know, that probably should have been a save or I probably should have had that one. But to be able to step up in those moments and make those plays goes a long way. Uh, as I mentioned, Alex Coots was on the color commentary for the Calgary Roughnecks broadcast. Uh, we've heard Brett Bucktooth a few times in New England. And we've also heard from Jamie Shuchuk in the Colorado Mammoth games. But one voice that we hadn't heard from before, and I am so glad we got to hear from him, was nonchalant Johnny Gallant at the Mammoth game. And I'm not sure if Shuchuk was unavailable, maybe sick, dealing with family, whatever. Uh, he might have been even doing some U.S. boxes stuff. But Johnny Gallant was brought in, uh, former Mammoth captain. Uh, he'd been with the organization since they were the Washington Power and he was the man between the benches on Saturday night and did an incredible job. You know, Johnny's not the most charismatic guy or the most um, exuberant, but his calm, cool demeanor was like listening to Morgan Freeman talk about nature. It's just so soft and so soothing and nothing was ever too high or too low. But every point that he made was exactly right. He understands the game. 
both sides of the ball. He's a D guy, but he, he gets it. He understands um, momentum. He understands the rhythm and, and highs and lows and ebbs and flows of games. That every time he spoke, I was engaged. I listened because I wanted to understand from an on-field perspective where he was, what was going on and what was happening. And this is something I think every team needs to bring into their broadcast. Vancouver often does it with Brad Chowner between the benches, but not many other teams do it. And I would love to see it happen more often. I don't want to see that guy between the benches doing interviews while the game's going on or anything like that. I just want him to be a voice down there. It could be a third guy in the broadcast, or it could just be a second guy. But having people down between the benches adds flavor to the broadcast, especially guys who have played the game. You can't just grab a guy and say, hey, go between the benches and, and do your thing. If he's never been in that position, never played in the league, never played the cross, doesn't understand the dynamics of the game, because then it won't bring anything to the broadcast. But having a guy down there with knowledge, with lacrosse IQ, and, and Johnny's not a stat guy. He, he wasn't sitting there with a Rolodex of information. I don't even really know if he had a roster. He had a notepad and a pen, but that was about it. But you don't need that kind of stuff to be down there. Because when you're down there, everything speaks for itself. <clears throat> and I got to say, for a guy who once claimed that he led the Victoria Shamrocks with 52 penalty minutes, that Johnny Glott did a great job during that altitude broadcast, and I hope we hear more from him because, as I said, it's those types of things that make broadcasts better, engaging, informative, and just crisper. And altitude does a fantastic job with their broadcasts, and, you know, it's easy because they're a cable network and they're kind of in-house and, you know, everything works succinctly for the mammoth that way. But it's something that I would like to see the National Lacrosse League do if they, if and when they get, you know, bigger contracts with TSN or Fox Sports or whoever it may be. That not only do they have a knowledgeable play-by-play -play guy, again, someone who understands the game, that can call it properly, knows the terminology, knows the players, all those things. But to have a presence between the benches, down on the field, just brings so much more to the broadcast and so much more for the viewer experience. So let's just keep that in mind and pay attention to that moving forward as teams try to make their broadcast that much more viewer-friendly. Speaking of broadcast, there are three games this weekend in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, they are all on Saturday. It all gets started with Rochester at Calgary, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can see that game on Fox Sports, both sides of the border. Uh, New England and Colorado also at 9 p.m. Eastern. That's a watch ESPN and TSN Go game. And then Buffalo at Vancouver, Fox Sports Go, either sides of the border as well. Um, for anybody that's in Buffalo and listens to, I believe it's ESPN 1250, I will be John Gertler's color guy for that game. So uh, my yearly tradition of sitting in 
with John Gertler when the Bandits come to town, so I'm looking forward to that. I'm looking forward to a great lacrosse game too because um, Buffalo and Vancouver, two teams that play fast, exciting lacrosse, and hopefully it's a fast, exciting lacrosse game. Just like we had this weekend. Like, I still can't get over the weekend we just had. I mean, like, five games, and if you take out the 17 to 6 blowout between Toronto and Rochester, every game was fantastic. Let's keep our fingers crossed for three fantastic games this weekend, shall we? All right, we're out of here. My name is Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar. You can email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Enjoy the games, everybody. Take a friend if you can, and be excellent to each other.